If you will, please turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Uh, open to the middle of your Bibles and then turn right and you'll get to Ecclesiastes um, to the right of, of Psalms. And we're in chapter 3. We'll go uh, from verse 1 through verse 15. This is one of the most well-known passages in this lesser-known book. Uh, you'll see this poem in the beginning. Um, I, I draw your attention, especially to the end of verse 5, uh, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Uh, this text is timely. Uh, we are living in a time just like that. And uh, this series, and what I hope will be proved true not only of this sermon, but of the rest, the series is entitled Get Real because this book gives us real truth for real life. And uh, real life has been hard in many ways. Um, and I'm so grateful that in this time that we would not have chosen for ourselves, that we get to come together and hear the truth. Let's pray and ask God to help us to hear Him, that we might have hope at all times. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would manifest yourself in the preaching of your word. I don't want to be up here by myself. And no one who is listening wants to just hear my words. So, Lord Jesus, manifest Yourself. We need You. Be with us. Cast away anything that would be untrue in my thoughts or words or in their thoughts. And make this a time, Lord of Lords, of building up in a time where so much is broken down, would you build up your church? Would you build up your fame? Would you build up the hopes of your people by manifesting yourself now to us? We ask all this with confidence that this is your will, that you are listening, and you will say yes. Amen. If you will, please stand with me at the reading of God's Word for our congregation this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 15 is the Spirit of God's wisdom for you and for me in this moment. Verse 1, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, 
a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before Him. That which is, already has been. That which is to be, already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. You may be seated. Most everything of what... I could tell you about the 4th of July and our independence as a nation of the Revolutionary War. I learned from Hamilton. Uh, and and that's, that's not a boast. Uh, that's just reality. And, and it's possible that um, if we don't have a passage like we've just read together, that all that you would know about God's wisdom regarding time and the changing of times would come from that bird's song way back when uh, that you may have been hearing when we read the poem, turn, turn, turn. It should not be so that you just have that song or even just this poem. Did you notice how the second half of the passage is, is about time? It speaks about um, all the things that through our lifetime, we have to be busy with, verse 10. The word time is repeated in verse 11, and, and, and what's emphasized here is what God is doing in time. Then there's a reference to eternity, which takes us out of time, and what God is doing throughout all of time, from beginning to end. 
and how it is important for us to do certain things as long as we live. You see, both, both of these halves of the passage really do belong together. So we have, first of all, a poem under heaven is what it says in verse 1. In other words, this is, uh, the, the poem is summarizing the seasons of life for everyone under heaven. That is a phrase like we've been seeing under the sun. It, there, there's a certain perspective that we have, a certain experience in this case, of for every single person who is alive. The poem is explaining that. But the second half of the verse is this peak into heaven. After the poem, under heaven, we have a peak up into heaven. Did you notice in the second half of the passage that God all of a sudden is there and mentioned repeatedly? And it's all making this point. That the unpredictable times of the first half of our passage call for the timeless priorities of the second half. Of the passage. Here is the point of the turn, turn, turn of times from one spectrum to the other. Unpredictable times call for timeless priorities. And here is that truth put in another way. Friends, you cannot stop the turns of the time. So, you should live for the eternal. You and I cannot stop verses 1 through 8 from happening. From one experience in our life turning to the opposite. And so, we should live for the eternal. Point number one, let's look more at this poem in verses 1 through 8. We have turning times. Now, we could walk through each phrase here and explain every time, but ain't nobody got time for that. So let me just summarize by giving you examples from the first half. Verse 2, you understand, you've lived long enough to, to know what it means in springtime to plant seeds. And you, you understand my experience yesterday when I got the Facebook post that just because the Graham Farmer's Market was closed didn't mean that Three Brothers pre, uh, Peaches wasn't going to serve up their peaches. It's harvest time for the peaches. Last summer we missed them all, so we were bound and determined to be there before opening. You understand, verse 3, in your own experience, there is a time for you to really focus have a laser focus on killing certain destructive habits in your life. Where all of your life needs to be focused on that in that moment. But then you also understand, verse 3, what it means to come to a time where you need to build up a fence that's been broken down. Or verse 4, where you weep because it was your beloved who passed away. Or that time gives way to a prom at which you laugh and dance. Verse 5, you understand the concept of embracing on the wedding night and refraining during 
COVID-19. So everyone, what it's saying in this poem is everyone under heaven is going to experience all of these efforts that are explained, all of these different emotions and the range of them that are unpacked in this poem and all of the things that you experience throughout your relationships. They will all happen in turn. But this is a poem. And so let me just say a few more things. Just observe that this poem has a shape. So you can learn something by how it starts. What's in the middle. And then how it finishes. It starts in verse 2. After saying... For everything, there is a season. There is a time for every matter under heaven. It starts in verse 2 with birth and death. And then the, the middle, the rest of the, the poem is explaining everything in between those experiences. But then it ends at the end of verse 8 with shalom. All the turning of times. Isn't it interesting that this kind of beautiful poem that speaks the truth to us about our experiences in life, isn't it interesting that all of those experiences might end in peace? Beloved, I don't have to tell you that times and experiences change. You know this. And you don't need to forget it. You need to remember, whatever time you're in, this will turn. This experience you're having, right now, whatever it is, it will turn. This is wisdom. The preacher is giving to God's people wisdom. He's saying, get real whenever you think about time. You cannot control The times that you are in. You cannot. It would be a foolish waste of life for you to try to keep the good. And capture it. And try to keep away the bad. No, you will experience all of it. But how is it that the tumultuous turning of times. How is it that this brilliant, spirit-inspired poet can finish all the experience of the tumultuous times with this peace as if it's this promise to God's people. This is your end. It will end in peace. For that, we need a higher vantage point. Unpredictable times call for timeless priorities. Point number two comes from verses 9 through 15. And we move from the turning times now to timeless takeaways. Point number two is timeless takeaways. The poem is, it, it, it described for us what is, what is life for everyone under heaven. And, it, and, and, and if, you, if you take that seriously, if that's really the way life is, you, you, will, you will ask the question that the preacher anticipates in verse 9. What gain has the worker from his toil? 
And the answer, of course, is nothing. There is no gain. If you try to gain in this way, it would be vain if you were to think, maybe my toil can tame my terms. My turns. In other words, he's saying, don't, don't think that if you just work really hard, that you'll be able to extend those good times and keep away those bad times. You can't tame this. So he asks, what, if, if, you're, if you're working really hard, what gain can you have if that's what life is like? And he says, you can't. You cannot control this. This is part of life under heaven or under the sun. It's, it's vain in this sense. It's impermanent. It's not permanent. All of your experiences, they will turn. You can't do anything to stop that. The good news of that is that even 2020 is going to turn in something like nine more years. It's going to be over in just a short amount of time. But the preacher, what he's doing is he's goading us. That's why he gives us this poem. He's goading us. Remember, that's the, the language. When he gives these words of wisdom, he's meaning to uh, provoke us to following God. And what he's saying is, since your toil, your hard labor, no matter how much you sweat and give, since it cannot prevent the turning of your times, you should prioritize the eternal Since toil cannot prevent the turning of times, you should, if you are wise, you will prioritize what does not turn. The eternal. Let me give you another look at this passage. In the first half, through the poem, he's saying, look, I've lived all of life I've had I have the resources as the king of Jerusalem to, to experience it all. We saw that in chapters 1 and, and 2. And, 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 and he's given us this poem. It's kind of his conclusion. This is what I've observed about, about how life works. But, but you, need to be, you need to understand, he says in verse 9 when he asks this question. You need to understand that, that should not make you like a leaf. In your life, just being carried about by the currents of time. It's not like you should just lay there and just, well, I'll just go to this time. And, and then I'll, where, I'll just float down this stream of life. And wherever it takes me is where I'll be. And I can't do anything about it. And so he turns in this last half and he says, I've made these observations about life. And you can see that I'm telling the truth. But here... Verses 9 through 15. These are my instructions about how you should live. Timeless. Takeaways. These are the takeaways. After I've observed this. And so he says, I've seen, I perceive, and I perceive. You see how that sounds like now that I've described all of this, I've perceived that what you should do is this. These are the timeless. Whatever time you're in, this is what you should focus upon. He starts with I see in verse 10. 
You see, whenever he's giving what he's seen about life under heaven, there is one he hasn't mentioned, of course. It's the one who's above heaven. And so he starts there and he says, you need to first take into account God. So, verses 9 through 11. See the God of the times. This is a timeless takeaway. You should focus on the God over all the times. It is not the waters of life determining your times. Look at the end of verse 11. God is doing things from the beginning to the end. It is God who is controlling all of this. You're not in control. Don't make that, don't let that lead you to believe there's no one in control. So the preacher says, God is the one who is turning what you cannot turn. It says elsewhere of God, I form light and I create darkness. I make well-being and I create calamity. I am the Lord. I do all of these things. Friends, be wise as you see the changing of your life happen without your control. And know there is a God and we're in His world. Verse 11. The preacher highlights two ways that God is exercising His control over time. It, it, and it is magnificent when he, when he talks about this verse or point number one, that the first way that God is exercising control over time is He is beautifying every time. Verse 11, He is beautifying every time. He's making every one of those times, every one of those that we read about, even the, the bad ones, He's making beautiful in its time. Or, or you might think about how Moses uh, says this in Genesis 50, what what. Some mean for evil, God means for good. He's able to even use the evils of this world and turn them around for good. When, whenever he says he makes everything beautiful in its time, he's not just saying that, that the turns that God brings about in our life are appropriate. They, yes, they are that. Whenever he turns things from bad to good or from good to bad, they're not just appropriate, but he says they are beautiful. These turns themselves are glorious. They, they, they should provoke us to see the worthiness of God. These turns These turns are beautiful. And he turns what's not beautiful into being beautiful. If every seed that you have sown flourished, if that happened, you would become a brat who did not need God at all. And that would be so ugly. On the other end, if, if, if the bad guys and evil went out in the end, it would be hard to consider Him powerful or God. 
turning of time is a tool itself where God makes things beautiful. But there's a second way that that the preacher is highlighting that God is exercising control over what we're not controlling, what we cannot predict. And, 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 and that is that he's not just beautifying every time, he's mystifying every person. He's mystifying every person. That's also in verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. He's mystifying every person. Somehow, the preacher tells us that God has fit infinity in what would fit in a fist. He is taking eternity and he's putting it in the heart of each human. And I think what he's saying is, is the turning of the times in our life, it should prompt us to say, I want something outside of this experience. I want, I want something that lasts forever. I want someone who endures forever. Something that is outside of this constant tyranny and tumultuous turning of life. There has to be something that lasts, that's good. So God has put ultimate questions in the hearts of man and, and, and puts desires for forever, forever in the hearts of all. It would be a good question for each of us if we meet someone, maybe even early on in meeting them, but whenever we're talking to them to ask, have you, when, when was that time when you were most thinking about God? Even if you're talking to someone who you know is not a Christian, Ask them this question. Put this to the test. Can you talk to me about the times in your life where you were most thinking about what happens after death? Just talk me through that. And then you can tell them what they do not understand. And yet, God does this in such a way that He's mystifying every person. In other words, longing for eternity does not make you eternal. Just because there, there are impulses in us for eternity, that doesn't mean we know everything. And so this is speaking to ignorance. He has put eternity in the hearts of man, yet so as they cannot find out what he has done from the beginning to the end. We are not God. Just because we have a longing for, for the eternal one. We need him to explain to us and to bring us to himself. So, Kobe Bryant's helicopter. And a virus at the end of last year in China. And, I'm just seeing the headlines of some pig pandemic that whatever, maybe on the horizon. And whatever test you're going through and whatever's going on in your job, what you do, the majority of your life, all of that is subject to God. He is God over the time. And wisdom recognizes that first of all.
He makes everything beautiful in its time. God sent His Son in time. Paul says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. God makes, He he invades this kind of under the heavens experience of the turning of times that seems so random that that you wonder how can all of this end in peace he sends his son into history god takes on flesh and comes down to his people it's not just true that jesus came in time but he came for a time the gospel writers explicitly say this jesus came for an hour He came, all of His his coming came for this specific moment. He had a time He came for. Now is my soul troubled whenever He was approaching that time. He was troubled about it. But He said, am I going to pray, Father, save me from this hour? No, for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. As a man... Jesus lived through all the turns of the poem. All that we experience, He lived through all of that. But, but the end, beloved, think about the end of Jesus' life. It was, it was not a turning from ugly to good. It was a turning from good to ugly. What I want you to consider for just a few moments is how Jesus is this God who makes beautiful everything in its time. I want you to consider for a moment how Jesus is the God who made beautiful the ugliest time. How it was during His time of agony in the garden when He was sweating blood that He made that ugly time beautiful by fearing God and saying, if, if you want me to die as if I'm guilty to save your people who cannot be saved otherwise, I will do that for you. It was when He was being forsaken on the cross by His Father. He had never experienced this before. The Father turning His face, so to speak, face of favor, away from Him while God Himself was pouring out eternal wrath and all of His anger for your sins, for all of them that you have committed and everyone who He would save. All of God's anger for our sins as Jesus is just absorbing that, the the, the wrath of His Father, then He turns to His mother and says to John, take care of her because I cannot take care of her any longer. It was when He was numbered with vile, guilty, terrible men who 
who earned that death on, on the cross. And the, the, the people who did deserve the, the shame of being ridiculed, the shame that Jesus didn't deserve, that he was bearing. It was, it was in that moment that he turns to one of those men and he says to him, today, you will be with me in paradise. Beloved, I want you to consider as we look at Ecclesiastes 3, how beautiful our Savior made suffering. The cross of cruelest murder murdered him. And he makes that give you life if you love him. If you're listening and you don't know Jesus in all of his glory, know this. It says as he was approaching the cross, he had loved his disciples until then, and he loved them to the end. He did this out of love for sinners. And when he was dying, when he was being mocked by blasphemous bullies, This is the Savior who said, forgive them, Father. Forgive them. Take my blood, not theirs. And God said, yes. So that God the Father even turned that ugly Friday and made it beautiful on Sunday when He raised His Son from the dead and says, now go out and save all of those and forgive all of those who will turn to you in faith and repentance. And that can be anyone who hears this and turns to Christ by faith. And the good news goes on. He he, he won't be done with you just by saying, I forgive you. He, this one who has beautifying power, redeeming power, he will turn that beautifying power on you. Everyone who believes in him, all of us will have his beautifying commitment on us, our hearts. He will turn our selfish ugliness into His sacrificial love increasingly for the rest of our life, we will be made beautiful like Him. Beloved, this is a wonderful gospel that we have. This hope that we have. Let's go back to Ecclesiastes 3 where the preacher has told us already, see the God of the times. And next, in verses 12 through 15, he says, set God apart throughout your times. Set God apart throughout your times. I wonder if you love Eeyore. I love Eeyore. I have come to believe that Pooh Bear's hopeless and glass half empty donkey friend is my spirit animal. Uh, there's this one, there's this one uh, story where he, he goes up to Pooh Bear and he says, it's my birthday. And Pooh Bear says, is it really? And he says, of course it is. Don't you see the cake? Don't you see the candles and all the presents? And Pooh Bear says, no. And he says, me either. So he's just this 
wonderful character. And, and Eeyore, I tell you, you, he's in our community. Uh, he's been coming out of the woodworks through these Facebook posts about the pandemic. Uh, they're commenting frequently on all these posts. And it may be you that you are tempted to be Eeyore in this time. Beloved, we cannot stop the turns of the times. But I want to give you encouragement from the preacher. Whenever your inner Eeyore takes over, I want you to let those temptations that you feel in the turning of the times when it's not when you want it to be, it's not what you want to experience. I want the Eeyore inside of you to provoke you to Eeyore. Okay, I'm playing with this a little bit, but I'm trying to use this as a reminder of the three tasks for every time. There are three tasks for every time, no matter what you are in. These are the timeless priorities, the timeless takeaways that Solomon puts before us. He's saying you cannot control whatever you are going through. It doesn't matter how much work you put in relationships. It will not guarantee peace in those relationships toil over it. It won't guarantee it. You can work really hard and it may never be appreciated. So you get into weeping circumstances and and you have to refrain from embracing certain people. You may even work really hard religiously. You may pour yourself out, toil over the word, toil in prayer. That will not keep death away. It will not keep away painful times. You cannot control what you're going through, but the preacher says you are responsible for how. You go through it. And there are three tasks. E-O-R. Enjoy, obey, regard. Eeyore. Whenever you're tempted to, to fuss and complain and just give up, Eeyore. Number one, enjoy. Number one, enjoy. Verse 12, I perceive that there is nothing better for people who are going through these times than to be joyful. Verse 13, to take pleasure in all of your toil. In another story about Eeyore, he loses his tail and all of his friends come around in the hundred acre woods and they try to find him a tail. And at the end of it, he gets this new tail back and and someone says, well, Eeyore, are you finally happy? And he said, no, but I sure like my new tail. He was kind of doing E. He was trying to take joy in his new tale, but we can do better than that. You need to get real. You need to get real if you're going to be a believer. God is good. And God does good. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. He's doing good. He is good. In the the worst times, He is doing good. And you should enjoy them. You should take note of what He's doing. You should thank Him and, and, and have pleasure because He's giving you, even if it's small things, He's loving you. Who is it that is giving you that encouraging text? That very moment when you are despairing. Who do you think sent that really? Who is it that makes the job that you have failed repeatedly to do finally work? Who, who is it, do you think, who really is, is behind that, that uh, making ends meet in a miraculous way? Who is it? 
that is working in your life to, to keep those, that news that you dread from coming, from coming. Who is it who gives us chocolate and coffee and bacon and jokes? God is giving us, He's working us in small ways and in big, things to enjoy. And by faith, you should eeyore, enjoy, but secondly, obey. That's the middle of verse, or the second half of verse 12. You should, um, you should be joyful, but then you should also do good as long as you live. Unpredictable times, timeless priority, obey. When, when, when you have faith to see that the times that are turning in my life are obeying God's will, He's ruling over it, that tells you I better not do less than the times are doing. He's my God, not just their God. I need to obey Him. And that is obviously hardest when things, the times are bad. And it's only in those times, God says in 1 Peter 2, that proves that you have grace, the grace of God in your life or not. If God's grace is operating in your life, it doesn't prove anything when you endure suffering because you deserve it. But if you endure suffering that you haven't deserved, that is a gracious thing. God is at work. And that's the way the Savior lived, leaving us an example that we should follow when He was reviled. He didn't revile. When He suffered, He did not threaten. And instead of sinning, instead of doing that, He was obeying. He was entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. So Peter then goes on to say, if you're suffering... Entrust your soul to God while doing good. You better, I better commit myself when COVID kills someone I love. I better find out when I am silenced by accusations or hated by the sinful. Whenever you experience those things, we better figure out in that moment what do I need to do to please Him? He's giving me things to do. And do not be harsh or selfish or unforgiving. You could read 1 Peter 4 just to think about how, what, should, what does God command me to do? What is the good I should do? Read 1 Peter 4 this afternoon. I'll just give you a couple. He says, love one another and serve one another. Though you're apart from one another. Do that good. It's harder in this season to figure out how do I serve my brothers and sisters. And he commands you to do it. There's a lot of temptations not to love one another. And he commands us to do it. Do you know, do you, do you know how your fellow members are doing so that you can love them? I know it's harder. So that you can serve them in a tangible way. 
I know it's harder. Or have you mistaken bad times like COVID as if it's some alibi, some exception clause that you don't have to do that kind of good? Eeyore, three tasks for every time. Enjoy, obey, regard comes in 14 and 15. Sounds a lot like the end of our book where it says the end of all things uh, has been, has been it, it's all been put before you. Now I'm telling you, all of your duty is to fear God and keep his commands. In other words, fear and obey. But notice in verses 14 and 15, I just want to call your attention to two things, purpose and position. The way that this is one of those passages that is communicating this main point of Ecclesiastes, but, but he speaks about fearing or regarding God in, in these two ways of, of it being God's purpose and, and about something of your position. Look at how it reads in verse 14. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. His is outside of time. It's not subject to time. Nothing can be added to it, nor can anything be taken from it. It will never change. God has done it. Here's the purpose. So that people fear. Here's the position before Him. In other words, the preacher is saying, your turns and your toil how your toil doesn't endure, and how you can't stop the turns of the times. God is ensuring that your toil doesn't work and ensuring that your times turn for this purpose that you would fear Him. Because it's supposed to remind us and look at God and say, wait a minute, this isn't happening to Him. Why is it? What's happening to all of us not happening to him? Why is it that everything he does endures? Why is it that everything he does is eternal and cannot be turned back? Ah, it is so that I would fear him. It is so that I would tremble in a way that still trusts him. And that I would trust him in a way that still trembles before him. That doesn't take him lightly in any way. And when, when, when I fear Him, I still want to move toward Him. It's all for that purpose. But notice the reference to the position. It's so that you would fear before Him. Let me just give you this quick illustration from the first commandment. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. Before is a spatial term. It means, it, it, you shall know the gods before me. It doesn't mean, hey, I'm fine with you having all kinds of gods. Just make sure I'm number one. No, he's saying in this space right here, in this space of what you consider to be God, there better be none of nothing else before me. Nothing here but me. But in this case, you are to fear before him. Which is to say you are to live your life unlike the fools in a conscious awareness of his presence. You should be with Him all the time. You should have a posture of fear. So if you're on a deadline and you can hear the clock ticking, 
you're in a room that's really quiet, and you hear the tick, tick, tick. That would do something to you if you're on a deadline. It would trigger something for you. And so the preacher is saying the same thing to us. He's saying, whenever your times turn, God is doing that, and he's doing it to trigger. Let that tick in the talk trigger. Oh, yes, I'm not God. I tried to keep it from happening. I can't do it. I'm not God. He's different. And they're not God. I can't please them to change my times. I I don't want to do that. I want to fear God. God doesn't change And no one can change his will or works. I've got to regard him. Eeyore. Three tasks for every time. Enjoy, obey, and regard. So there's that country western song. Whose line is, the only thing that stays the same is everything changes. That's true for anyone who's under the sun can say that, but preacher can say more and Christians can say more. There actually is one exception. God changes my times and he doesn't change and his works cannot change. My times will turn. It's important what I do when they turn. But that Friday... And that Sunday, where God did those things, will never turn. And I'm going to set my hope fully on a future time when all that was accomplished on that Friday and Sunday are handed to me in full. And none of my hope is going to be on my times changing here. You cannot stop the turn. So you should live for the eternal. Father in heaven, we pray that you would make us wise. That the unpredictable times of our life would not make fools of us. And we would understand that unpredictable times call for timeless priorities. Would you make us wise and serve you, fear you. And enjoy all that you're doing. And obey you in all of our conduct throughout the time that we're away from you. We ask all this in Jesus' name.